Welcome to the Future Now Media Podcast, where we believe a future now is a future one. I'm your host, Peggy Kim, and I'm the founder and president of the Future Now Media Foundation, which is a nonprofit leadership incubator for the media and entertainment industry. In this podcast series, we'll be talking to some of today's top industry leaders, executives, and professionals. We'll also hear about their personal and professional career journeys, what makes them tick, how they got to where they are today, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll also share some of the best content from our Future Now live events. So stay tuned. Today's topic is storytelling. Stories are what drive our industry. The obvious role of story is in content. The films, documentaries, videos, and TV shows we watch, the radio shows and podcasts we listen to, the books and articles we read. But stories are also critical and present in every aspect of the business, in sales, PR, marketing, etc. And the best and most effective leaders are the ones who master storytelling. Today's episode features a panel discussion on the art of storytelling. This panel took place at the 2018 Future Now Media and Entertainment Conference and includes four executives who come from different disciplines and parts of the industry. They are Craig Tello, WWE's Vice President of Digital and Social Content, Stacey Gray, the former Chief Creative Officer at In Demand, Jonathan Coleman, Executive Vice President at production company Guy Walks Into a Bar, and Kim Gilmore, who is the Senior Historian and Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility for History Channel and A&E Networks. Moderating the panel is writer, producer, and content creator Rashida Winfield. The panel discusses how storytelling is an integral part of each of their jobs and disciplines. They also talk about storytelling in filmmaking, micro-content, branding, and marketing, and share their thoughts on what makes for effective and powerful storytelling. Take a listen. We should start with the basics because we hear the term storytelling a lot. And so I want to hear from the experts here. Maybe we can start with you since you're right next to me, Craig. What is storytelling? How do you define that? Sure. And I think I come from a very unique perspective of digital and social content, which yes. is kind of micro content. It's not necessarily long form, it's sort of short form. And I think through that lens, uh, Storytelling can be a lot of different things, and it really doesn't need to be something that's long form with a, a complete, uh, the totality of a narrative doesn't need to be this long spanning, um, multi, multiple hours, or, or even less than an hour. Uh, you can really tell a quick story in, in a very short video, or a very, even an image, as I'm sure a lot of folks personally use social media, that's what you do every day. So uh, really, I think it comes down to, uh, I think the, the art, part of the art of storytelling is really being able to resonate, and uh, have people be able to relate with the content. And I think the idea, at least in the context of, of my world of digital and social content, is we're making that content even more relatable because we're producing the type of content that the people who follow us and the people who watch our programming are also creating. So for us, storytelling is um, basically characterization, it's presenting uh, a narrative. Again, and it could be any number of, of moments, heartbeats, or, uh, or minutes. That sounds good. And I would say, I'm always curious to know, when I talk to professionals like you, how did you even get into this? Like, what is it about storytelling that, you know, drew you into the business? Like, is there a story that you can share that you're like, oh my goodness, I watched the show or I read this book? Because I think that's always fun. 
Anyone in particular? I, I, I was making, I, I convinced my mother when I was like 12 that we should get a digital video. This is like when digital video cameras were like brand new. And I was like, mom, don't you want our memories to be preserved <laughs> in the most pristine and pure form possible? And she caved and she got us. And then I proceeded to just make these little like movies with my friends and not film any memories other than those. <laughs> It's like for all of uh, like middle school, high school, I was just making these little movies and I, mm -hmm. I, I had always enjoyed film and television and stories, but for me mm -hmm. it started at an early age and yeah. made a few uh, college uh, short films and, and won a couple of small awards and, and that's, that's how it started for me. Mm -hmm. What about you, uh, Stacey? Yeah, I think I also from high school was very interested in um, art and design, and particularly in graphic design, uh, and I think it was a storytelling aspect to it where you really have to distill an idea down into like the, its most simplest form to connect with people visually or with words and images, and I always found that like such an interesting great creative challenge. And then uh, it's interesting actually to be here today because this is my alma mater, the new school in Parsons. I came oh. to New York and I went to Didn't Parsons. Uh, I was a communication design major. I had my art history class in, in this room. I think I took a lot of naps in here, <laughs> as I recall. <laughs> Inside story, apparently, right? The yeah. inside story. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, I just continued to kind of pursue that love of um, design as a way to communicate with people. And over my career, you know, that there are more components that were added, which was it started, you know, with more print and then moved into TV, video, social, um, you know, and so you kind of end up realizing that you have this whole toolkit, you know, of, of ways to tell stories, both short and long. And also, um, it's like across a continuum, you know, when you're building cable network brands, it's really like every touch point you have with uh, your consumer is part of the store, is part of the story, and it all has to have a connected thread. So that becomes sort of like the you know, the evolution of like what I ended up, you know, doing ultimately in my career, which is really like 360 mm -hmm. storytelling. Right, because I think a lot of times, at least for me personally, I think we, I think storytelling is what I watch on TV and it's just strictly the shows or stream online, but you tell the stories of the brands. So for example, with Viacom, right? Viacom owns a few different different stations, different networks. How do you define, you know, the different personas, right? So like the VH1 versus the MTV. Could you kind of walk us into that process, explain that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, it usually starts with uh, consumer insights, you know, so that understanding that each uh, network has a slightly different audience, slightly different age group, maybe slightly different interests, um, life stages, et cetera. And so there's a lot of research done, I think, by all of our, you know, companies, a lot of time spent in understanding the customer, um, both in focus groups, you know, where you actually sit with a moderator and talk to them about concepts, also, um, in sur you know surveys to kind of have more uh, thousands of people you know responding so that you're getting you know a, an accurate picture of the audience in a broader scale, <clears throat> and then you know sort of taking those insights and translating them into 
really distilling them down into a brand promise generally, which is like, here's what we're going to stand for, because you're really trying to, again, find that connection to the consumer, but you also have to find the thread between the programming on your network. And sometimes that's tricky because a lot of networks have very, you know, varied programming. Like, I think you could speak to this probably really well with um, A&E and with their brand. You know, they took, I think they did that fairly well because some of the shows might not really fit, but they found a way to tie it together. So maybe that'd be a great yeah, so that is a, I mean, I think A&E is a good example because people might know A&E started as arts and entertainment and there was a lot of um, like kind of biographies of artists, um, things like Emma, Shakespeare, um, uh, what we would think of as arts and culture programming, things that people are watching to learn something, but also um, what we think of as kind of highbrow, people who are interested in literature and reading. And then A&E took a big shift from, um, from that model into... Um, reality television of all different kinds and you know our our tag during that transition was real life drama so the idea that real life you know um, uh, capturing what people are doing in their real lives and experiences that people are having and an example of that would be the show intervention so you know when Interve I was there when intervention first launched and at the time it was um, it felt very revolutionary because it was the idea of going directly into people's lives and you know we had a lot of conversations about about doing that and how to do it responsibly and from a corporate social responsibility angle we did a lot of town hall meetings in cities across the country um, to uh, make those conversations um, meaningful and to show the impact that we could have in communities but I think that is a great example of a show where if you are to read articles about about that topic or um, to to kind of hear about it anecdotally it means one thing but to see it and to experience and to like be there with people as they're experiencing it is so much more impactful and um, it's something that audiences really responded to and then over time A&E kind of continued to make that shift you know from one kind of programming to another but I definitely think that it takes it takes years and it takes a long time for audiences to to find that but ultimately one of the things we were talking about back there is just that audiences will when they're there are stories that are well told. People will find them and, and go back to them. And audiences, like you know, as consumers, we all have power to um, to to support the things that we do find meaningful. And um, and uh, as as companies, we're constantly responding to that and to the data, but also to um, you know what audiences say by by when they tune in. It's good. That makes me think, is that why we're seeing a lot of remakes? Because the audiences love, you know, the, the Roseannes, and I think there's talks of Martin, and like, I'm just yeah. curious as your thoughts about not new content, but like rebranding. It's, I, I would argue the, the reboots and the remakes, there's some good, some bad. It's, okay. it's also very fear-driven, right? Like, if you're mm -hmm. an enormous corporation, uh, you have you have the shareholders to please. You have the bottom the bottom line to satisfy. And and if you know a show is a huge hit, there probably is hunger for more of it. I mean that's the thing. You know we 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 produce films and TV, but TV has been growing and growing in quality and quantity, um, partly because it is a it is a you can see it as I like to think of it as storytelling and, and and moving and emotionally resonant. But you can also look at it as a product, and television is a product that can keep going and going and going and going. And then it ends. Oh wait, 10 years later it can keep going and going and going. So 
I, I think there's pros and cons to it, but that's part of what I see is going on. And then that made me think of another question now, because with social media, you know, I think there's always this talk that TV is going to go extinct, and it's, you know, but I think from what you said, at least your opinion is that no. I'd like to know what everyone else thinks <laughs> as the social media. It's dead. No, the, the reality is, the truth is, is that everybody, I think, is just going to get smarter about understanding what content is appropriate for what platform. And if you think about TV as a platform, uh, I think the viewing habits are clearly changing, and, every, and there's a, a huge awareness of that in media in general. And I think everybody, uh, big conglomerates, uh, big media organizations are figuring that out. And what is the appropriate story, tell, story to tell on a platform like broadcast versus on a platform that's over the top, like a Netflix um, or something that's done either through a website or just directly on social media. So uh, I think it just comes down to knowing what the audi what your audience is on that plat on that platform, and then creating content specifically for that platform. Well, that's a good segue into the next question for you. So with the WW, I want to know how do you guys come up with those storylines, and how is it different for Snapchat versus what we might see on TV? Right? Y'all want to know, right? Because I do. <laughs> So what's funny is that I actually, before I got into digital and social content, I started as one of the, my, I had a, so, okay, let me back up and say, you asked a question before about something that inspired you, and yes. my first instinct was the original Dawn of the Dead, but then after that, uh, the thing that popped in mind was I literally sat in the crowd uh, just a couple blocks up north at Madison Square Garden at WrestleMania 20, uh, and I remember nice. like this video played, and it was my first time at an event, um, and this video played and it was so compelling. I was like, man, this is really well done. It's really telling a story. Um, and I remember thinking that this is where I want to be. And uh, essentially then I started my career as a, as a TV writer. I started in WWE as a, the person who scripted the storylines and the, and the writing and, uh, and what, the, what, those, what people were saying and the Amazing. promos and all that. Uh, and it was a grind because it was like a, a travel job where it was on the road and like you'd be in Topeka, Kansas one week and then Seattle, Washington the next. Um, but it was great because it just, you had to identify and know who your characters were and then built stories around them. That's really what it comes down to. And then uh, really listening. I mean, what we do a lot today in, in social media is uh, be attentive to what the audience is consuming. And we have the great fortune of being able to see real-time data and real-time consumption. Right. So we'll know when a video gets posted on one of our platforms if people are watching it or if they're not. And that helps you, uh, as a content creator, pivot. It also helped us, our, our brand overall. So there's still a team of writers who uh, produce, who, who script and create the content uh, that you see on the day-to-day the -day programming. But, uh, and they use a lot of the information that we extract from social media to help develop their storylines based on what the larger audience is saying. Okay. And so, <clears throat> since our students are here, I, if you could tell them one thing about making a compelling story, what would that one takeaway be from each of you? It's like, I want you to remember this. I would say keep it simple. Keep the it simple. The one thing I think is the big, biggest challenge where people go, go wrong in storytelling and where storytelling doesn't resonate is when it's too complicated, when you're trying to have too many ideas, um, so too many, something that's too long. Like, I work with a lot of editors and doing promos, you know, for, for shows and movies, and the one comment I always have to give is, it's too long, you know, it's, people get bored, like, you know, 
and you can fall in love with your own work. And then you don't want to let go of anything, whether you're writing, editing. And so um, less is usually more. And also having a clear idea about what is the takeaway that you want someone to have at the end? What is the simple idea that you want someone to walk away with? And that's what whatever pieces that you have there really need to be clearly adding up to that and everything else. You want to take away the clutter so that the real idea can speak. I mean, I would say I think that's definitely that's so right about keeping it simple and clear. And then I would also say that um, one commonality I think in all stories is that the, what we say characters, but it's really another way of saying people. You know, that who are the people that are driving the story, and that uh, um, I would say the majority of the time, if not always, the stories that draw us in are those characters and and the the people that we want to know more about and that we want to root for or we want to you know, uh, see go down or, you know, whatever it is, but thinking about who are those, who are those characters that people are going to connect to um, and, and, um, and why, and that they have to, you have to have some likable characters. I think that's one commonality to all good stories. There has to be, there have to be at least a few people in there that you want to win <laughs> or you want to be happy or succeed or something like that. But I, think. I agree on the characterization especially, and then I, I think that a, a, a key factor of that too in understanding what characters you want to create is also just knowing your audience and knowing what audience you want to create a story for and what, uh, have an understanding of what their expectations are, not necessarily that you need to craft a story around that expectation and um, box yourself in, but just uh, put yourself in the, in the shoes and in the seat of, of somebody who's going to consume that story at some point. It just helps you better shape your story, I'd say. I'm trying to keep it to one thing, but there's so many. First, I'm just curious, just because we, we haven't like taken questions from you guys yet, but show of hands if you have or are interested in like making and producing content in some way. Awesome. Mm. <laughs> nice. Give Majority. yourselves a round of applause. Lots of creatives. Um, yeah, so I hope you guys are taking copious notes because each <laughs> thing they said was more than just like a simple thing, but, but each of those ideas is so profoundly important. Um, same question, or a different question. Show of hands, how many of you have uh, produced something in the past month? Mm. Nice work, guys. Nice work. Good job. Impressive. How about in the past week? <laughs> Amazing. All right. So I, what I was going to say was be sure that you're always putting stuff out there and, and uh, you know, working the craft of it. I, I mean, I definitely experienced this when I was starting out. You know, I was making these little films and stuff in high school and into college. And I was getting some good feedback, but I also... Part of me did sort of think, well, come on, like this is, you know, I've, I've, I've figured out how to do some version of this that works. Let's, let's get to the next level. Let's, let's do this. And actually, uh, I, did, I had no clue what I didn't know that I needed to learn about how to really tell a good story. You know, there's so many. I mean, I believe like uh, the profession of storytelling, and this is true of all of our versions of storytelling, is the most interdisciplinary, complicated, multifaceted thing that you can try to embark on, on, on doing for a living. It, it involves so many, you know, music, dialogue, writing, uh, color, wardrobe, sound, makeup, like so many pieces, which is why you need a team normally. Right. Just be doing it and be putting it out there when you do it. And, and, and not just online and hoping it, it does well, submitting it to places, uh, getting actual feedback and allowing it to hurt when people don't like it, but taking in okay, it was painful, maybe it wasn't for them, but what about it didn't work? Like, they felt like it sucked. 
what maybe was the thing that didn't resonate with them and is it okay that they didn't like it or was there something I can tweak and next time, you know, improve and have more resonance with people. The resonance with an audience is what you want and there's a lot of ways to do it but the long and short of it is be, you know, keep going. Practice the craft of it. And I would say, so it doesn't sound like there's a secret sauce to, you know, get Hard it right. Or, what was that? Hard work. Hard work. Okay. Well, I am going to give you guys an opportunity to ask questions since a lot of you are storytellers. So we're going to hand two mics. So if you so have a mics. question, you can just come right over here. Yep. I saw your hand. Yep, you. You can go right over here. Hello, um, my name is Joshua Bennett. I um, recently graduated from the University of Connecticut with a dual bachelor's degree in um, English and communications. Um, one of my dreams is to be like a filmmaker, producer. So I have a quick question just about, just about storytelling. So can you just walk me into like, when you know you have a production coming up, there's like three phases to a production. So, excuse me. There's a pre-production phase on production and on post-production. So for each phase, can you just walk me to like, how do you operate like during each um, phase of the production? Big question. Well, That's a good question. It's a huge question. Yeah. It is. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Maybe one well, person could take one part of it pre-production. Well, I, I have just a quick follow-up for you. What, what, um, what do you personally want to do? Like write, direct, produce, act. Like what's your personal? I want to produce. I want to like come up with stories and stuff. Does it make it easier because producers are involved in every single piece of it deeply? Uh, I mean, I would say the first part is just to get your to get it greenlit somewhere. And but I, I would say you know um, the, the that definitely be true to the story that you want to tell. But then once you get past that phase, you have to think about where is it going to find an audience. And like what I would say always to people who are pitching to our networks is, look at the other things that are on our network. If your project is completely different from anything we have, it's probably, unfortunately, not going to find a home on our networks. And you know, data is really important in kind of looking at the ecosystem. But think about what story you have, and then find a home for it where there are other stories that are like that or that are, that are similar. So I would say that like in pre terms of pre-production and kind of getting a project bought in somewhere, that, that that's an important part of it. And then thinking about really practical things like how you're going to pay for it and what the funding model is for it. Yeah, I mean really pre-production encapsulates a huge, because like, there's literal pre-production where you've hired the team and you've got the line producer and the AD and like everyone's making the battle plan for us to fight the battle for like a month and a half or however long it is. But before that is the real hard work producers have to go through, which is like shaping the story. Because you're involved in that. That's not just the writers or the director. Like you're involved in that piece of it. Um, and the, the, frankly, even harder work of uh, getting the money to finance it. And you know, it, it can be like, yeah, um, like independent films, you have to raise it no less. Giant films, they're independently financing those sometimes. But you, you know, studios are, 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 are not producing as much content anymore, and as, as many movies. And so, there's more independently financed stuff, but the work of a producer before the actual filming starts is mostly just getting the right group of people together 
and getting everyone excited and very like very much a sales type of thing. Um, but yeah, that's. All right. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm Alex. I'm studying entertainment management uh, at Pace University here in the city. Um, how do you guys deal with creative block? Like when you can't, when it's just like not coming, you just can't do it. Or any advice, I guess? Uh, I would say so in my space, there's a, not literally my space, but uh, <laughs> it's an old social sure. platform. You guys remember that? Yeah. Uh, a lot of good stuff. When it comes to that, I think there's enough inspiration out there where I just, you just peruse your, your any given feed or any number of folks that you follow and find inspiration there and extract and create your own narrative off of something that what's your derivative of that? What's your version of that? What's your take on that? Um, and I don't know that necessarily you need to expect of yourself that you would need to immediately get the, the next big story or the next big project you want to work on based on what you've seen, but that'll just get you, that may spark and reignite something inside of you and help you get, get those gears fluid again. Um, and then off of that, just retain that momentum and then work on the next big project. But don't ever let that type, that type of thing get in your way because it is, is, it's brief and it's not, it's not permanent. Uh, it's just the type of thing that comes up. And the more you think about it, the more it's become a hurdle for yourself. So you just need to just get through it, basically. I, um, I experienced that a lot. I was at NYU working on my dissertation, and I read this article about a guy who got his PhD after 58 years. And I thought, if I am working on this for 58 years, <laughs> but I actually thought this, it's possible because that's how slow it can be sometimes. And I got this book that's called How to Write Your Dissertation in 15 Minutes a Day. And it sounds very gimmicky, but the thing that, yeah. the core of that book that yeah. literally helped me get my dissertation done and that has helped me in every other project I've worked on is the idea of short-term goals. And what that, that is all about is working on something a little bit every day. And whether it's writing or if you're doing media work or whatever you're working on, work on it a little bit every day and the idea of short-term goals add up. And so, you know, if you feel blocked, you know, forgive yourself because everybody feels that. People who have won Pulitzer Prizes feel that. People who have won Emmys feel that. But, you know, I find that breaking it down into small pieces and I would say to myself, I'm just going to do three pages today. And then I did those three pages. And then the next day, if I'd say, if it was a good day, I'd say, okay, I'm gonna try to do five. But if it was not a good day, I'd say, okay, I'm at least doing two, you know? But it's like that idea of breaking projects down into pieces, for me, has been really helpful. And thinking of things as a, a smaller goal and not as the big picture. Because the big picture can be so overwhelming, but I think of it as like you're just chipping away at something a little bit every day. And that ultimately, and, and that eventually you realize like, wow, I've actually made a lot of progress on this, you know? But a little bit every day is the way to go, I think. And just and connected to that, just because you're talking about being blocked or like trying to like get past sort of something that's like in your way, um, there's not really. I mean, great advice, you know, to be inspired. But sometimes you just have to like be willing to sit with nothing coming to you. So like, when I'm writing, I usually write in the morning. Some people prefer evening or you know whenever. But like for me, it's one of the hardest things to do. So I like to attack it first thing in the day, so that the rest of the day is easier. Um, but I, I commit to myself. I'm going to sit down for three hours, like seven to ten. And just, I've got goals, but even if it's not flowing and not happening, I don't just cut it short because I'm frustrated. It's like, no, committing to that and expecting that something will happen. And then two or three days later, enormous things will happen. And it's because you can't control what's, you can't control it to an extent, but being able to sit with how uncomfortable that makes you is a big part of just finding a way through it. 
But then, yeah, also, you know, when you're done beforehand, go walk around the block. Just like allow yourself to feel free and loose. Watch some interesting, you know, music video, read a poem, like something that you might find some joy in to help sort of spark your imagination. That's great. Oh, okay. Well, if you have questions, come on down to the podium. You can line up on both sides. All right. We may not be able to get to everyone. We only have a few minutes left, so first come, first serve. Um, you're on this side, so we're going to go to you. Good morning. My name is Sydney Jack. I recently graduated from Dillard University with a BA in theater and a minor in English. My question is, I'm an actress and writer, and through research I found that it's highly unlikely to find internships or apprenticeships that allow creators to actually assist in the creation process. Are there institutions that allow writers to assist in that creation process as far as content creation, stories, and scripts? I think Warner Brothers, some of the studios actually have uh, internship programs for writers. So I would suggest, I don't know if you've looked at entertainment companies, but you should go to websites for all of like, the major studios because okay. they definitely offer those kind of opportunities. We'll be talking more about internships later okay. on tools of the trade panel, okay. wink, wink. So we're going to get into that. We have one, we have time for maybe one more question. So thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but they will be hanging around. Yeah. So right, right. A few people are not everyone. So, you know, do what do what you need to do. All right. Hi, Last question. I'm Patrice McInnes, and I'm a communication student at the University of Connecticut. And I think it was you, Jonathan, you said something on the lines of you want to make sure that you're continuously producing content. And for me, like, I'm very sensitive when it comes to my work, and I'm, I'm a perfectionist, and I want to make sure that I'm always putting out quality content, and that takes time. So, like, what advice would you give someone who, I want to make sure that I'm not taking too long to put out content, but I also want to make sure everything is of quality and not putting out something just for the sake of putting it out. What, what type of content are you talking about? Like, a, like feature length, pilot length, short Just small, form? Yeah, small videos. Yeah. Because um, the truth is, you know, like if you write, like I, I write feature films, that takes three to four months to have like a draft that's readable at all. So sometimes it just takes time. Um, short form stuff, if you're doing it well, still takes time, but it's, it's, it's a little bit easier. Um, and it is, it's so hard to, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's it, again, it's, there's so many facets that have to come together so perfectly. And to have one person doing it is just, you're, you're asking an almost impossible task of yourself to have some, no, you are asking an impossible task <laughs> of yourself if you're, if you're trying to have it be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so what I, would, what I would advise you is, is kind of what you were saying, like be able to forgive yourself for how imperfect it ultimately will be. Um, I, what, you know, do you have like a trusted group of friends or people that like are also making stuff or just pe people that you know aren't just family or your buds who are going to be like, oh, it's great, so great, I, I have everything both. you do is great. I have both. Great. So show, <laughs> show something that you're working on to people that you know will be willing to say, oh, I don't like it. And getting used to that, I mean, frankly, it's the same as like dating and relationships, right? Like you have to be capable of rejection and accepting that and then being able to move on. Creativity, like Hollywood will break your heart forever. Like you will right. never, and you'll think like, oh, we, like a couple of years ago we got a movie made and it felt amazing. And then it, it sort of fades and you're like, all right, we need the next project because we're a business and we got to, <laughs> um, you know, you have to learn to accept that 
you'll be rejected for the rest of your life, <laughs> periodically, but then sometimes have huge successes, which are amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's actually way worse than dating, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not a great comparison. But getting used to the feeling of, of being rejected um, right. by people that you trust, who you know care about you, and, and, and then taking that in and thinking, okay, what wasn't working? Uh, can I, can I improve this thing? Like I do a lot of reading and there's, there's books that I can recommend to you, but like you can just Google, you know, books on storytelling, right. books on like uh, short form video stuff. Just, there's, there's resources out there, but getting used to putting it out to a trusted group, get feedback, be willing to change it, and then just get it out there before it's perfect because it's through the process of iterating that you'll master the craft. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also I think creatives, yeah. we are our own worst critics. And no matter whenever you finish it, you're not gonna be happy with yeah. it. And, but that's part of the process. The more things you create, every time you create the next thing, you're learning and you're getting better and better. So in some ways, like don't make each thing so precious. It's better to, because whatever you learn from this one, you're going to apply the next one. And that's really how you grow. Yes. All right. Well, th thank you. Thank you. Great questions. We do have to wrap up, but I just want to give them a round of applause. Yes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Future Now Media Podcast. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, as well as on Instagram and LinkedIn. Till next time, I'm Peggy Kim. And remember, a future now is a future one.